Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I'm the executive pastor at Grace Community Church. And for those of you who have not been to Grace before, that means that I am not the typical pastor here. Uh, for those of you who have never seen Jason, he's a short guy, about four or five foot tall, about as wide as he is tall. No, he's not. Uh, Jason is about my height, and uh, he is on sabbatical right now. And so he is not here. And so there are a number of folks who are preaching in his stead, and it is me this evening. So, uh, so glad to be here. So glad to be with you all. We are in uh, a series called Living Stones. And in fact, this is the last sermon in this series. So if this is your first time at Grace, congratulations. You made the last, the last sermon in the series. That's fine. All of them are on YouTube. You can go back and just catch up tomorrow. Watch uh, just since January, just a few sermons that you have to catch up on. We are in this series because in Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter says, this is true about the church. He says, all of you are like living stones that God is building into a house for himself, a house for worship, and a house where people can come and they can know about God. And so he says, I want you all, each one of you, to be like a stone that I build up into this house. So listen to me. Be formed by me. Be transformed by me. This is something that I want for you because it's good for you. And this is something I want for the church because it's good for the church. So that's why we called this series Living Stones. And that's what we've been talking about is people like us who've been formed by God for this purpose. And if you've been here at Grace for a couple of weeks now, you've heard people talk about Joshua because Joshua is the last person in our series that we've examined. And Joshua, um, we've heard about how he is uh, a leader who is commissioned and called as a leader, how there was this handoff of leadership. And last week, um, Brooks talked about how Joshua led Israel into Canaan, and that was a kind of rest, but God had a better rest planned for them. He has a better rest planned for us. And tonight we're going to talk about Joshua as a person like we're people and what he's called to do and what God calls him at the end of that. So some context about Joshua. He is a potential leader for Israel for most of his life, and then at the very end, he's an actual leader. If you know anything about scripture, you know that Joshua is the guy that Moses picks to be his helper. Moses says to Joshua, as they're coming out of Egypt, God has done all of these miraculous things with the plagues, and he's called Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, Joshua, I want you to be Israel's military commander for me. And I want you to help me. I'm going to go up and down this mountain and talk to God. And I want you to serve me. And I'm going to be going in and out before the people, leading them at the house of God. And I want you to sit here by, by the tent and just wait for me and wait on me. And so Joshua does that for years. We don't know exactly how old he is when he starts serving Moses, but we know he's 110 when he dies. And we know that he only is actually leading Israel. He's the designated leader for just the last little bit of his life. So for most of his life, he is a potential leader. He's only the designated leader at the very end. And then we also know that Joshua is always choosing to serve God. We see lots of different ways in Joshua's life where he's given the opportunity to serve himself, where he's given the opportunity to serve uh, the interests that he might have, uh, to gain wealth, to gain prestige. And he's always choosing to serve God whether it is sitting outside the tent and waiting on Moses, following up and down the mountain, whether it is going into Canaan and spying out the land and then giving a faithful, honest report, even though the other spies say, we don't want to do anything, we, we can't do anything, 
Joshua and Caleb are faithful. And so we see Joshua constantly serving, constantly choosing to serve God. And then finally, in chapter 24, verse 29, God calls Joshua a servant. He says, this is my servant. This is the one who has chosen to serve me. And so that's important because when God gives somebody that title, we should pay attention. Who is this kind of person that God would call them this? And so he calls Moses his servant, and then he calls Joshua his servant. Two very different people. They both serve him very differently. But we're going to study Joshua tonight. So if you would pray with me a minute as we, uh, as we dig into what it means to choose to serve, because the, the verses that Jeff read, this call to choose today who we're going to serve, Joshua did that his whole life. And I want to look at what it means to make that choice again and again the way Joshua did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your gift, everlasting life. Thank you for your friendship, Lord. You call us your friends because you tell us what you're doing. This is what your scripture says. Lord, help us to understand what it means to choose to serve you and to be called your friend at the same time. Make it clear to us, Lord, how we can understand your word better and know you better and be a better friend of God. I pray this in your name. Amen. So this is, a, this is a paraphrase, but this is essentially what Joshua says. He says, you should faithfully serve the God who saves you, but you're going to need to make that choice. It's the right decision. God has provided for you. He saved you. You should acknowledge that. And the right decision is to choose to serve him. But you're going to have to make that choice. He says, me and my house, that's the choice we're going to make. But you all are going to have to make that choice for yourself. And he He's going to point out how God has provided. We're going to see that. We're going to see that that response is a choice, that there are, in fact, real choices to be made here. We're going to see that there are consequences for either choice, whatever choice that we make. And then we're going to, we're going to talk about what it means to live as a servant. And we're going to kind of hang out there, even though that's like the fourth point of a three-point sermon. It's still kind of a three-point sermon. Just ignore the fact that there are four points. We're going to hang out in that fourth one because living as a servant, that's the hard part. We might in a moment make a choice, but we have to keep choosing. So I want to keep coming back to that. Look how God has provided. If you, learn in, if you look in your Bible in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Joshua 24, um, verses 1 through 13, you'll see this list that Joshua is giving the people of how God has provided. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he starts all the way back with Abraham. He reminds Israel that they have this ancestor Abraham. Remember when Abraham lived in a different country and he worshipped a different God, Joshua says? That's when our God called him. That's when our God was faithful to call Abraham, when he was in a different country, worshipping a different God. And he made him a promise. And then he fulfilled that promise. He gave him a son, and he gave that son a son. And he took all of those children into Egypt, into slavery, and then he brought them out. And you are the children of those children. And now I'm making you a nation. And so Joshua says, he reminds Israel in verses 1 through 13 here, look how God has driven Canaan out. Look how you are the people of God's own choosing, and he's given you a home. He's provided for you. He's saved you. Time and again, he's saved you. Time and again, he's provided for you. See what he's done here. He even goes so far as to say, remember how Canaan was inhabited? This is as close as we get to Joshua saying, I told you so. Right? Joshua went in as a spy, and he saw that the land was beautiful, and he he told everybody, God has given this to us. And they're like, no, I don't think we can do that. Well, this is as close as Joshua gets to, I told you so. And he says, look, the land is beautiful. There are 
orchards and vineyards and houses, and we didn't have to plant any of it or grow any of it. God has given it to us. This is for us. So God has provided. And yeah, that's Israel. What has he provided for you? Most of you have not been given the land of Canaan. Anybody feel like they've been given the land of Canaan? We should talk afterward. But he has given you many good gifts. He has given you your life. He has given you your family. He has given you this time right here, this moment to listen to his word. So what are you going to do with those gifts? Joshua has some instruction for the people. He has some direction for the people. Here's what I have done with these gifts, he says. Here's what I think you should do with these gifts. How are you going to take the gifts that you've been given? Ask yourself that this evening. Because your response is a choice. It's not, it's not, "Mm, whatever I feel like. It's a choice. You're choosing to serve God or you're choosing to serve another God. Here's the full text again of what Jeff read. Now, therefore, taking verses 1 through 13, taking all that God has provided, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's the choice I'm telling you to make, Joshua says. God has provided for you. You should put away all other gods and serve him. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose who you are going to serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But understand, Joshua says, you're making a choice. And you all here tonight, understand that you're making a choice always. Either you're serving God or you're serving yourself or you're serving another God. But we are created to worship. We're made to serve. Even the person who says, I don't believe in God, That person serves something. They make a choice. It might just be their own satisfaction. It might be a person, right? It might even be an altruistic good. They might give their life to a cause and serve that thing. But everybody worships something. Everybody's making a choice. And Joshua's argument, his, his call to Israel is, look, everything you have came from the Lord. You should serve him. He provided for you. You should serve him. There are consequences for that. If you serve him, if you obey him, you need to put away the other gods. You can't serve God and another God. And the Israelites don't get this, right? And as we go forward in scripture, uh, Brooks is going to dig into Judges next week. And you see that time and again, the Israelites don't understand this idea that to serve God, you have to put away other gods. They want to keep them all. They haven't met a God that they don't like. Right? They've got little gods everywhere, little statues that they worship, um, little private deities, household gods. They're into it all. And God says, no, you have to serve me by serving me. And you will receive a blessing from me when you do that. But understand that if you don't serve me, that there is wrath and destruction that comes with that. That's the consequence of not choosing me. And for some people, that's too much. Even the words obedience and disobedience are too much for some people. It really rubs them the wrong way. They really don't like this idea that I have to obey God. Are there any obedience fans here? Anybody real just knock down, drag out obedience fan? No, nobody's an obedience fan. Some of you are more or less okay with obedience. You like order, and so you're willing to go along with obedience. But some of you hear obedience, and your skin starts to do this thing, right? And you're like, I just don't, don't tell me what to do. But God is asking you to choose it because if you choose it, you choose 
life. From the very beginning, God says to Adam and Eve, if you choose me, if you choose to obey me, you choose life. And if you choose to disobey me, you choose death. And Moses reiterates this for Israel right before they go into Canaan. He says, choose to obey and choose life. You can choose death. That is another choice. But understand that that's what you're choosing. So I have given you everything. I'm asking you to consider choosing me because that means life. But it is still a choice. What are you going to do? How are you going to choose? Here's how Israel answers. The people answer and they say, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord did drive out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord. He is our God. It's the right answer. Right? That is the right answer. And Joshua says, no, you won't. (laughs) He literally says, no, you won't. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. You're not going to do that. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. But don't stop there. If you stop there, you're going to start thinking wrong thoughts about God. The scripture does not say God won't forgive our sins. It says he will not forgive your sins if, verse 20, you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Understand that Joshua wants Israel to understand the stakes. It's not just choose me, it's choose life or choose death. And so he's saying very clearly, as clearly as can be, if you don't choose me, you're choosing death. God wants to forgive you. And Jesus is very clear about this. We'll get to Jesus' friendship in a few minutes. But Jesus is very clear about this. He wants, he wants to save us. Right? He desires our salvation. It is for the joy of our salvation that he endures the cross. So he wants to save us. But if we say that we've accepted salvation, and then we also want to add in every other possible God and also choose that, Joshua says that's choosing death. You can't do that. God wants you to choose him, to follow him. And so what do they do? Joshua says, okay, you've said that you're going to serve God. Let's set up a stone. You're going to be witnesses against yourself. When you decide not to serve God, I'm going to remind you what you said. In fact, I'm going to put this big stone up here next to our tent. And where we come to gather, every time you disobeyed, we're going to look at the stone and remind you how you chose to disobey. Because Joshua knows that this is our heart. This is what we struggle with. We struggle with not being a servant. And he says here in verse 27 to the people, Behold, the stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words that the Lord, uh, of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So they said, hey, we're going to serve God. We're going to be his servants, just like you, Joshua. We're going to do that. Joshua says, understand the consequences of not doing that. It is death. I don't want you to die. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Please serve the Lord. So what does it look like? What does it look like to choose to serve, to live as a servant? In many ways, that's all just set up, right? Every day when we wake up, if we have chosen, if we've chosen to serve God, 
we have to keep choosing to serve God. Because every day the temptation to not serve God is going to be real. The temptation to serve other gods is going to be real. We're going to make gods out of all kinds of things every day. So let's look at the life of Joshua. What did it mean for him? It's not going to mean the same thing for us, but what did it mean for him? God calls Joshua his servant, so we know that that's the relationship they had. What did it mean for him? It meant for him that with Joshua's time and his talent, he had to be patient for about 100 years. If you're under 30, do you feel like you've been patient yet? If you're under 40, do you feel like you've been patient yet? Probably. If there's anybody here that's over 40, they will tell you you have not been patient yet. If you're 100, you can probably look around the room and say you all haven't been patient yet, right? Joshua is from the house of Ephraim. It's the same, it's the same line as Joseph, okay? Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. We don't know for sure. The Bible does not say. But the fact that Joshua gets chosen almost right away by Moses it's very likely that he had some sort of standing in Israel before Moses came to call the people out. It's very possible, if you read the blessing in Genesis that God puts, uh, that, that is put on uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, like, it's very possible people are looking at Joseph, uh, Joshua and they're saying, this is the guy. He's going to lead us. But he's not the guy. He only gets to be the leader at the very end of his life. And so all of his time and all of his talent is given to being just not quite there. This is a terrible recruiting pitch, right? Have any of you, have you ever applied for a job and they've said to you, we would like you to be the not quite top of the the heap. We would like you to be the not quite well-known person at our industry. We'd like you to do a great job, but nobody's going to know who you are. Or if they do know who you are, they're going to forget who you are. Or if they do know who you are, they're going to reject your testimony like they rejected Joshua's testimony. And for a hundred years, that's true. And at the very end, he gets to help lead them into the promised land. But one of the very first things Joshua does is is he goes and he leads Israel around Jericho. And you guys know how that's a great strategic military victory, right? Joshua, the strategic military commander that just leads the people in line marching around the city until it falls down. There's not a glory. There's, There's no excitement there for Joshua. That's not to praise his name. Right? He is simply there to be obedient, to give God his time and his talent for as many years as God asks. And for a few years, that means he's the designated leader. Everybody looks to him. But for most of, most of his life, it's not that way. The same thing with his trust and his treasure. How many, how many of you can imagine the Israelites in the desert for 40 years and they just want some stability, Right? They've been picking up their tent and moving their tent. They've been nomadic. They're not a nomadic people. They don't want to be a nomadic people, but they've been doing that for 40 years. And now all of a sudden they've come into Canaan and they've taken Jericho. And so now they've got access to resources that they didn't have for years. The temptation would be huge to try and hoard some wealth so that they could do something with it, right? Here finally is something I can hold on to. I can maybe make something for myself. And Achan, one of the Israelites, he takes some silver and a bar of gold and he buries it in, his, in the sand beneath his tent. And God says, you can't do that. I told you not to do that. I wanted you to give me all of the, 
all of the precious things from Jericho, not because God needs silver or gold, but because he knew that all of the people would idolize those things. He knew the temptation would be to trust those things. So he says, give me those things. Don't keep them for yourself. Achan keeps them. Achan is destroyed. Israel stones him. It's a terrible scene. Imagine Joshua and his temptation as the leader now, the designated leader, to make something of Israel. And God is saying, it's not how this is going to work. I'm going to do it. You have to trust me. And thankfully, none of you are out ransacking cities, right? That's not a thing that you're going to be doing this week, I hope. And so there should be no temptation for you to loot your neighbor. And yet, and yet, God has given you physical resources. And you can choose to hoard it, to help yourself to it, or you can choose to give it back to him. Most of you trust God every day to keep you breathing. I'm not going to ask you to think about breathing right now because it messes with the system. But you trust God to do that. You trust God to keep you waking up day after day after day. But you don't trust him to handle your bank account. You don't trust him to take care of your money. You think you've got ideas that maybe God would like to hear about, right? God, listen, on this, on this point, I know better than you. If you invest in this thing, right, that's not how it works. And I'm not telling you to give money to our church so that we can have your money. You should give money cheerfully because God has blessed you. You should bless others. Churches and missions organizations and just people who need money. Because it's showing, it's demonstrating to God who gave to you that you recognize it comes from God. This is what it means to be a steward. We talk about stewardship. You've probably heard that word in a church. A steward is somebody who takes care of somebody else's goods. A steward in a kingdom is somebody who watches over the kingdom for the king. And so God is calling Joshua and all of Israel to be his stewards, just like he calls all of us in the same way. Not to hoard these things and try to make it make sense on our own, but to trust him. To trust that the God who keeps us waking up day after day, keeps the world spinning, keeps it from devolving into chaos every day, that he knows better than we do how to handle our resources. And then finally, it means being content to let this all be about God's story and not yours. If you look at Joshua's life from the very beginning to the very end, Joshua is a secondary character. I told you he went to Jericho, right? One of the first things when he comes into Canaan, he goes to Jericho, and he sees the captain of the armies of the Lord. We don't know exactly who this is. It's an angelic presence. It's a God-like presence. He certainly understands that it's God-like. He's told to take his sandals off like Moses was at the burning bush. So he has this interaction with somebody who is like God, and he asks God, are you for us or against us? And the answer he gets is no. Not very reassuring right? Are you for us or against us, God? No. (laughs) He says, I'm for the Lord. And he's reminded, Joshua is reminded that this is not about him. This is about God's story. So to be a servant of God is to be content to serve God and to not let it be about you. And this this is something that we struggle with as Americans. We always want it to be about us. We talk about people having drama or creating drama in their relationships. It's people trying to make every situation about themselves. And God is saying, let me make this about me because I made the universe and I know what's best for you. And I know how to give you good gifts. Let me give you good gifts. So it's total 
devotion to him. I said when I started out that we are living stones, and this is true that God has provided for us, that we can choose to serve him, we can enjoy the consequences of obedience, we can live as a servant. But see, God also calls us not just living stones, but he calls us his friend. And this is a complication that we've got to wade into because not only does he call us his friend, but he says that he chooses us. So if you have a Bible, if you have the ability to turn to John, turn to John chapter 15. And I think I've got verse 14 up there, but we're going to start back in verse 12. John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, you no longer, but no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You know, it's true that we should choose God as a response to his provision. It's true that we should. But we should also understand that part of his provision is that he chooses us before we choose him. Before we're able to make the right choice, he is calling out to us. You say, how do I know? Well, can you hear me? tonight? Do you hear this word from the Lord that he is calling you, that he has sent his son, that he desires a relationship with you? He is choosing you. So you can respond by choosing him. You can respond by recognizing that provision, that he wants you to be a living stone, that he wants you to be his friend, that he wants you to know him. But you do have to understand that the response is a real choice. James puts it this way. He says, you can be a friend with the world, but understand that that makes you an enemy of God. We're talking about sin. We're talking about choosing death. So you can choose something else, but understand that it's death. That's the other choice. You say, well, that doesn't sound like much of a choice. It's not, but we make it all the time. We choose death all the time. And Christ says, I would rather you have life. I'd rather you have life more abundantly. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I want you to choose me. I have chosen you. He says he is our friend. And you say, well, I still don't get it. Like, how am I, how am I a servant if I'm your friend? Come back to verse 13 with me here in John chapter 15. Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus says, I am a servant, this is what he does. He lays down his life for us. So we are still servants when we're God's friends if we, like Christ, lay down our lives for him and for each other. This is something that we can do by his power and for his glory and for our good. We can lay down our lives for each other. We can serve him and serve one another in this way. And it is for our great, great benefit. Friendship with the world is choosing death. So don't be be confused 
by what the choice is. Don't be dissuaded by all of the choices that you'll be faced with in the world. Do understand that you are choosing to serve. Like Joseph, you're choosing for your name to not be as, I'm sorry, like Joshua, you're choosing for your name to not be as well known as like Moses's, or you're choosing to be a servant uh, who doesn't have access to all of the resources. You're choosing to be a servant whose story maybe is not well known by everybody, but you're also choosing to lay down your life for your friends like Jesus did, and that makes you a friend of God. This is the greatest gift, right? This is everlasting life. We sung about this and Bo said, I needed these songs this week and I think we all need these songs every week to recognize that we are choosing death and that sometimes people choosing death around us is just overwhelming us. I don't know about you, but there are, there are things that make it so that I go through my day in better and worse ways. And one of the ways that I make it harder on myself is to choose to read the news every morning, first thing. Anybody ever do that and feel depressed for the rest of the day? Right, it's a struggle. I'm not saying you shouldn't inform yourself and I'm not saying you should stick your head in the sand, but it maybe isn't the best thing to do first thing in the morning. You can also choose to read the word of God the first thing in the morning. And there are better consequences for that. But that's the sort of laying down my life that I have to be okay with. That doesn't seem like great stakes, right? Choose to read the Bible or choose to read the news. But understand that that goes on, right? Laying down your life is not always a big heroic sacrifice. And in fact, most of the time it's not. Most of the time, laying down your life for your friends is just putting them first in a very small thing. And we can do this because he has empowered us to do this because he's given us his Holy Spirit, because he said, I love you so much, I'm gonna show you what this looks like. I'm not just gonna tell you to do it, I'm gonna do it for you. That's who Jesus is, that's who our friend is. So as we conclude tonight, I want you to ask yourself this question, do I want to choose to serve God? Is that something I want to do? Scripture says that he has provided for us. It says uh, that Jesus has provided a way to everlasting life for us. If that's something that you want, certainly I would encourage you to choose to serve God. Respond that way. Respond with the choice to serve him. But if you don't know, then come and talk to us because we want to help you make that choice. We don't want anyone to feel like they have to choose death. And if you're struggling with choosing life tonight, let us know because we want to help you choose life. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you so much for leading and guiding Joshua and thank you for giving him a hundred years, maybe more of patience to show us what true patience looks like. Lord, thank you for reminding us that all that you have given us, all of the resources, Lord, all of the good gifts, they are nothing compared with you and your friendship and the fact that you've laid down your life for us, Lord, and that you can enable us to do the same for others and love them and have love with them that is pure and holy and everlasting. Help us tonight, Lord, to choose you always. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.